0: You know, it's it's always good to come on here. I mean, we ain't talking about all the stuff in the world. So, yeah. uh, We're going to talk about the major ones here on episode 33 of the Block to Block podcast, the best podcast in the world for all things Web3. Here we break down the technology, what's going on in the market, and the ways in which you can benefit. I am NFT and Jai. And I
1: am
2: Web3 Wayne.
0: And over here, the talk is different, especially when we're joined by.
2: Sean of the
1: Seven Streams. Yes, sir. Hey. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Big, big money, Sean. Hey, look. Sean of Seven Streams, whenever you bless us, man. It's a dope episode. We know we're going we gonna to get into some things that, that's probably going to go over some people's head. But that's the reason we have you on. But for the people whose head it doesn't go over, we got to make sure we give them a disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. By no means will we be responsible if you lose your cheese, cheddar, mozzarella, or provolone. Yes, I'm talking about your cold, hard-earned cash. We are not responsible. So please, please, please take this information and go to a financial advisor or any other financial professional that can help you make your money Make money for you, and with that, let's get into the pod. Let's get into it, man. Let me
0: let me give you a brief reintroduction to the audience. I mean, they already know who you are because you came here on episode eight, and where you gave your story about how to become a developer in Web three, and you've been here on many other episodes as well. But we have been blessed because you've been gracious enough to come to the platform on a regular cadence to start off your developers course series. For those who may not know, if you are interested in getting into Web3 development specifically, or to learn the skills that it needs to be developed for you to become a programmer a coder or a developer, Sean is here to really give you the blueprint of what you need in these high power, impactful 10 to 15 minute segments. We got Sean, the seventh dream, showing you how you can get one of these opportunities that are one, very exciting, and two, are compensated very well. So with that, let me pass it off to you, my good brother. Happy to have you on the platform once again.
2: Thank you for having me. I got a presentation to share with y'all today to uh, help everyone get familiarized with the steps needed to be taken to become a web developer. And we're starting with web development specifically because this is uh, an easy path into Web3. So what is web development at a high level overview? Web development is uh, the process of developing websites or web applications that are meant to be accessed through the internet in a web browser um, specifically. That's the main difference between web and mobile application development uh, is the medium in which you're doing the development for. So uh, as you'll see here in this slide, the two key differences between web and mobile development is uh, when you're doing web development, you're creating applications meant to be used through web browser whereas on a mobile development ends, you're intending for the application to be used on a mobile device whether that be an iPhone or Android. Um, But speaking of iPhone and Android, that is another one of the key differences. Although you can make applications in a variety of of languages, there are languages best suited for uh, web and mobile development specifically because the suite of tools uh, surrounding that language and the community surrounding that language makes it more tailored to make development easier. So for example, if you wanna build an iOS application, you might wanna write that in Swift or Objective-C, whereas if you're trying to build an Android application, you'll probably wanna write that in Java or Kotlin. Um, So if you're interested in both web and mobile development, it's recommended to start with web because it'll give you the foundation you need to Wrap your mind one around development concepts and programming concepts, but also, um, you know, the web technologies uh, are still utilized in mobile development. So, having a good understanding of um, how the web works and making requests across the web for your website or application uh, are still still skills you'll need on both ends. So, high-level skills required to become a web developer. Obviously, you need programming skills. Um, you need proficiency in at least one programming language. You know, for example, JavaScript, Python, or Ruby. Those are popular uh, programming languages that have frameworks uh, dedicated to building uh, web applications. Um, familiarity with Web technologies, as I mentioned earlier, you'll still need to have an understanding of how the web works and how you make requests to uh, retrieve information across the web or send requests in order to save information and understanding of how uh, your website may interact with the database, for instance. Um, You also need a good understanding of design principles um, in order to make a nice looking, nicely designed application or website. Um, you need problem solving skills in order to uh, one, solve whatever problem your application is, is being built to uh, the solution for, but also to assist you in the development process. You may run into roadblocks or hiccups along the way and have to debug your code at various points. Um, so you'll need to be able to, to work through those challenges along the way. Um, the sleeper skill that a lot of people don't consider is communication because although you may be working primarily with your computer, you're still gonna need to be able to interact and, and play well with others along the way and be, be a part of a cohesive team, potentially. <laughs> uh, so that's one of the, the stronger soft skills that uh, people need to work on and, and look, to, look for in a good developer.
1: Seven Streams. When you mentioned uh, those programming languages, they provide a framework. Can you give people a a little background on what a framework is and kind of define that a little bit?
2: Yeah. Um, So for instance, um, a a framework is like a suite of tools that um, will help you along with, with the particular task that's designed for. So when I mentioned earlier, uh, Python, for instance, like that is a programming language in and of it's, itself that you can use to write scripts and, and server-side logic, but they have a framework called Flask that is used specifically to build websites with Python. It gives you the tools to um, make that process of building the website easier in that particular language. Awesome. So, yeah, from there we have the steps to become a web developer. Uh, You're going to want to choose a specialization, uh, meaning, are you going to focus primarily on front end development, meaning the design and look and feel of what you're interacting with as an end user um, for the application, or back end development, which is primarily the functionality that helps everything work together uh, in your application or full stack, meaning you wanna work on both ends, not just uh, the visual end, but also that server side logic piece uh, to make sure that um, your application is executing the functionality you're looking for it to to do. Um, You'll also wanna learn the basics of web development as a whole, which is HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. As Mamadou mentioned, if you've heard me on the podcast before, I've I've mentioned that these are the core languages that you'll need to know to build interactive websites. Uh, HTML is gonna be used to build uh, the website itself and CSS is going to be used to style it and JavaScript will be added to uh, provide it that interactive functionality that we all uh, know and have come to expect from applications today. Um, from there, you want to choose a technology stack to uh, decide exactly what uh, what languages and what database and what server side uh, logic you want to use for your application. So you can look at choosing your stack as uh, defining your scope for the project in a sense. And we'll get into that a little bit later because I have another slide on how to choose a tech stack. Um, and another thing you'll wanna do is build a portfolio so that you can broadcast your skills and demonstrate uh, and advertise your ability, for uh, which becomes essentially uh, very helpful for the last step, which is applying for jobs to actually utilize your skills full-time. Um, so as I mentioned, choosing a stack is a very important part of the process. When it comes to choosing a stack, um, the key components of a stack are the database, the server, the front end, and the back end that you're going to be using. So um, as it states here is a a tech stack is a combination of programming languages, frameworks and tools used to build your application. And some of the popular stacks that are around currently are the lamp stack, the mean stack, and the mern stack. And in each one of these examples, you'll see like MondoDB is used as the uh, database, Express.js is a server side um, logic uh, along with Node.js. Uh, Express is used for the routing of your, your application. And then uh, React is the front end framework that uh, is being used for this this application in that particular example. Um, Quick question, I mean, Streams.
0: Yep. So oftentimes, right? In the world of development, we hear about what kind of stack developer are you? Like, are you a front-end developer, back end developer, or full stack? From your personal experience, if you want to like get the people the game of like which angle they should try to attack this world from, like should they try to go the full stack developer route just to start off or kind of focus on the specialization?
2: Um, I mean that's really personal preference. Um, you know, I feel like being, uh, full stack makes you more dangerous, you know, because then you're able to take jobs across the spectrum. Uh, but there is value in, in being a specialist because, you know, you know, your front end, uh, implementation very well. And same thing with, with the back uh, you know, if you're a specialist in that way, um, you know, someone looking for just that particular role, uh, you being that expert will, will also give you a competitive advantage in a sense because they may, if someone has a job that they're, they're posting for a back-end uh, job, and you being full stack, you could qualify for the job, but you may not get it over the person who specializes um, in, in back-end because their back-end knowledge just may be stronger than yours. You know uh, So full stack can be looked at as being like a jack-of-all-trades str- jack in a sense. Uh, Does that answer your question, Mamadou?
0: I had muted myself, but yes.
2: Okay. (laughs) All right, well, that leaves us with um, my one of my final recommendations for becoming a web developer. Um, A great way to build experience when you especially when you're getting started, but even if you're already an experienced developer, is contributing to open source projects. Essentially, an open source project is a project that's public on GitHub and available to to everyone to, to contribute to. Um, this is a great way to join a community of developers already working on something existing. Not only that, you can learn from them and uh, learn to also adhere to different project standards, um, which is something that you would have to do on any professional project that you work on. Um, So steps to contributing to open source projects is, you know, find a project that you're interested in. You can do that by searching on GitHub or GitLab just for uh, public repositories and looking at their documentation for what the purpose of the project is and just seeing if anything piques your interest at that point. Once you find something that you, you know, you're passionate about and you may want to work on, read the documentation to see. Uh, you know what the goal of the project is and, and how it's uh, designed, what the standards are for contributing, um, and that will give you all the necessary information to get started from there. Uh, you'll also be able to reach out to people uh, that are maintaining the project, but uh, you'll see who the contributors are as well. Um, so from there, once you've picked your project and uh, you know what you want to work on, you just want to start small by looking at the, they'll they'll have a list of issues on GitHub that may be open. You'll want to look through those to find one that you feel confident in tackling. In some cases, they'll tag them so you know, like these are good early issues. They might be labeled beginner friendly or good first issues, for example. Um, And then from there, you'll want to solve whatever the problem is in the issue and open a pull request so that other people can uh, look at your code that is solving the problem and and give you feedback. And, you know, your code is up to the standards set for the project and the people who review it don't see any issues. You'll have contributed to open source at that point when they merge your code in. Um, So it's definitely a process. You want to be patient and persistent because there may be times where your pull request gets rejected and you may have to refactor your code, but just don't get discouraged and stick with it. Um, and finally, a uh, couple resources to really help people get started uh, in the journey to become a developer. Uh, there's always YouTube University, uh, but there's also Udemy and Coursera for you know, looking for specific courses or, or free resources along the line to, to watch tutorials as well. And then code Cavity is one that I, in particular, demand, not sponsored, uh, but they will give you uh, projects to work on. And not only that, but as you're learning the concepts, they force you to uh, write the code to reinforce what you're learning along with the, the tutorial that they're giving you. Uh, so it's very helpful. Additionally, you can find uh, other tutorials in, in, on other websites or use W3 schools as a uh, resource uh, because they have a great website for documenting uh, just uh, different aspects of web development. So whether that's HTML tags that you want to learn more about or uh, what methods, you know, JavaScript has for using for working with the date objects or Anything that you're interested in that falls in the realm of HTML, CSS, and uh, JavaScript, they'll have some form of documentation on for you to learn more about. And also Stack Overflow and GitHub are great resources for interacting with other developers or um, posting questions to to learn more in your journey as well. Uh, That is the end of this presentation.
0: Fire, thank you. Thank you very much. Very informative
1: yeah man you got it you got you got me inspired i might have to become a developer after this man <laughs> i'm have to go find me an open source project or
2: something <laughs> or yeah, something
1: yeah something yeah yeah
2: and if it's not open source you know because open source can be you know a little scary for newcomers to just dive right into you know sometimes people people can be shy they don't want to you know share their code out if they're not confident with it you know just start a personal project build a calculator or you know something simple just to get you get the ball rolling is there somewhere
1: that people can go for like those simple ideas of like something to build out and like have a reference is that kind of what udemy and code Academy does or what is what does that look like
2: yeah code academy will definitely uh, guide you through building certain projects uh, mm-hmm. and as I mentioned I think YouTube Academy is also probably the best resource for that because people do post their their whole tutorials for like watch me build this app or so and so app and you can either follow along or sometimes they'll post the github link for their code so you just look it over and you know either fork the repository to like make your own version or you know the the possibilities are endless at that point
1: okay okay
2: okay okay
0: fire Man, once again, this is the second edition of the developer's course here on block to block with Shauna The7Streams. Thank you very much for, you know, just making it the pathway towards becoming a web developer very straightforward, easy to understand, and accessible for newcomers who are interested in this space. So for all of you guys who are watching, you know, definitely like, comment, subscribe, and share with all your loved ones, you know follow Sean, where where should they follow you to connect more?
2: Um, At Sean of the seven streams, I got to post the the at somewhere. (laughs) We'll post it in the description for you. Okay. All right. But yeah, everyone keep in mind too, uh, you know, currently Web3, a lot of it is accessed via uh, your web browser. So that's another reason why starting off as just a regular web de- web developer before you get into all the smart contract logic and code uh, is, is important.
0: Yeah. And, you know, as we mentioned in the previous episode, episode 32, there's roughly only a little over 23,000 uh, open source web developers who even specialize in like blockchain related projects, right? But the job opportunities projection is by 2030 there should be like a million job openings related to this field so don't think that you're late to the game like if you stick with us you stick with sean the seven streams you're going to have the foundation to start relatively early get a jump of, of this so you're in a position to really benefit from this new market opportunity so thank you once again this was very impactful i'm super excited i'm like maybe i need a take a career shift
1: myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah for real and yeah we we know you might might head out you know we we got a uh interesting you know episode and, and a good quick take you might might be interested in we're we gonna talk about the shanghai upgrade so just want to throw that out there if you just want to listen in right quick
2: gotcha I'll i'll listen in for the quick take for sure
1: he said, "But once
0: he gets to my news point, I am
1: out." <laughs> we
0: hear you. We hear you. And with that, let's get to this quick take.
1: Let's get to it. So the cat is out of the bag. What the quick take for today is? We're talking about the Shanghai upgrade, or as developers call it, Chapella, and this is the next phase after the merge. Uh, and if you didn't know, if you've been under a rock, the merge happened back in September 2022. It was a big event. Uh, and, it, you know, this the Shanghai upgrade is really another step after the merge in transforming Ethereum into a fully fledged proof of stake blockchain. So before we dive into the Shanghai or Chapella upgrade, let's examine Ethereum's makeup as a blockchain after the merge, right? So Ethereum, the Ethereum protocol is made up of two layers. We got the execution layer and the consensus layer. The execution layer will undergo the Shanghai upgrade. The consensus layer will undergo the Capella upgrade. Hence, Capella. <laughs> that, that's the next, that's a new ad lib for the, for the whole podcast. Shappella. Um. So when the merge happened, right? this is kind of give you a little history, the legacy proof of work blockchain, which is what Ethereum used to be, became the execution layer for Ethereum. And then the beacon chain, which was the chain that they started building out this proof of state network on, that merged with this blockchain to become the consensus layer. So the execution layer is where where all the smart contracts and protocol rules live. And then the consensus layer is in charge of making sure that all the validators on the network are following those rules, right? So this is what makes up the total Ethereum blockchain. And what also happened is when they allowed for staking, right? When the beacon chain came live, they were staking there. Uh, once the merge happened, you were still allowed to stake your Ethereum. But what you you weren't allowed to do was to liquidate or move any of the Ethereum that you've staked on the blockchain, right? And, and if you don't know what staking means is you're going to put up a certain amount of Ethereum. And by putting up that Ethereum, you are now able to validate nodes and you become a validator, right? But you had to keep that money in the Ethereum blockchain to be able to be a validator. With the Shanghai upgrade will allow for, drum roll, withdrawals from staking ETH, among some some other benefits, lower fees for users. And, you know, it's going to increase Ethereum's capacity to handle transactions, all that boring stuff, all that boring stuff. What's really important is now validators, stakers will be able to move their Ethereum from being staked and liquidate if they want to right so for the first time holders will be able to unstake long-held positions sell their holdings change their staking provider and are actually stake their ethereum or stake ethereum right so what really what we're tracking here is what's gonna happen what what happens next right we've already seen a very volatile market and this may cause another liquidity event right so, be on the lookout. Ethereum may be very volatile over the next month. The Shanghai upgrade or Chapella upgrade. Chapella is expected to go out April 12th. Um, something to, to, to keep in mind. Some companies that will most likely liquidate their Ethereum. Celsius. We we know what uh, what's happening with them. Kraken. Also, another one. Uh, Coinbase who's been sued by the SEC and you know, having a lot of legal troubles there in uh, and, and Binance, right? Those companies are very likely to liquidate their Ethereum, the, the, the staked Ethereum that they have. Um, and very much so, those are big companies uh, that have staked a lot of Ethereum and that will cause very much a liquidity event for Ethereum. And, you know, who knows, it might affect that price as well. And with that, that is our quick take for today fellas what are your thoughts nft and jive what are you thinking from the market side sean is seven streams as a as a developer as somebody who is you know of course in the, the game of seven streams and making that that big money what are your thoughts
0: yeah did you want to go first sean since you're the guest of the, pla- the platform or i can
2: kick it off sure um I mean, first off, I was excited about some of the boring stuff that you were <laughs> we'll um, talking like, about. talk about capacity. Enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that um, the important news for sure is the potential uh, next liquidation event. Uh, it's definitely something to be on the lookout for. Um, you know, I'm sure many people, if it does occur, they'll be looking to buy that dip as well um but my hopes if any you know with these being larger institutions is that hopefully they they taper off uh you know they slowly um unstake their positions instead of just quickly uh quickly letting them go especially with the uh, binance and coinbase i feel like uh it's a big concern for them if they were to be the uh in, in part, the cause of that liquidation effect, event because they'll be impacted by it the most. Mm. They won't be the only people selling at that point, and mm. other people wanting to pull their money from their platforms is not going to be great, <laughs> as we've seen. Yeah.
0: yeah. We have a, a another bank run situation, if you will, right? Yep. Which has been decimating the world of Web3 and the financial markets lately. So. That's that's a great point. That's a great point. In terms of Chapo, I would say it goes back to what we've constantly saying said on this platform regarding when you evaluate these blockchain projects, these blockchain networks, like if, like a Bitcoin, a Cardano, Ethereum, you definitely need to have a strong understanding of what's the long term vision and their execution plan. Similar to when you want to invest in a stock in a company, you know, you want to understand what's the vision here. And what's very crucial about this is, you know, over the course of this podcast production, we've spoken about, you know, what's been going on within the Ethereum ecosystem with like the merge as like a big thing, right? And now we're mm-hmm. seeing the Shanghai update as well, and just like the implications that it can have within the market. Once again, you know, in terms of why we're, or at least I'm a personal believer in the long-term viability of Ethereum is the fact that they're making these kind of updates, right? They have an entire ecosystem. They they have a huge plethora of developers um, contributing into the Dapp ecosystem. They have a foundation behind them. They're executing plans to make the overall platform a lot more efficient. And they're taking... For lack of a better term, like a not a slope, a phased approach, right? They're really taking this as a phased approach to continuously improve. So I think it's great news overall and very interesting. I'm just curious to see how it all pans out, if you will.
2: I agree.
1: Yeah. 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 Same look, same here. Same here. I think you both made great points of, you know, different perspectives on it. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing we can pull from this, right, is that the, you know, crypto market, right, if you're looking at it from like an investor lens, there's so many points to get into investing in crypto, right? You just got to kind of like look into it, you know, you just kind of have to follow it because... What we're going to see is in the news, they're not going to say, oh, Ethereum is dropping 30% or, you know, 50% Mm -hmm. because of the Shanghai upgrade. They're just going to say, oh, it's dropping 50%. Is this the end of Ethereum? But if you're somebody that's keeping up with it, you know, you're watching block to block consistently, uh, as you should, you know, like, comment, subscribe, share with your loved ones. Yep, yep, yep. All, All those things. You'll know that this is all part of the game and you will try to look for like, Hey, when's, when's the bottom of, of this period? So I can get into, you know, getting me some Ethereum at a discounted price. Right. So, you know, that I think, uh, you know, it's another point to take away is just as there, there's a whole roadmap. If you listen to this, there's a whole roadmap that Ethereum lined up. You could probably go look like Ethereum, roadmap or Ethereum merge roadmap like and it will tell you like this mm-hmm. the things to look out for and you know from there you could just kind of just look at the news every so often and, and kind of see where things are and get a sense of all right I got another chance to, to get in on this Ethereum thing at a discount of its current market position you know as something to take to your financial advisor because it's not financial advice but I'm just saying you know it's some good information to take to your people. So, yeah, man. Love it. I love it.
0: Love it, man. And now we're off to our final story. Sean, will you still be staying on
2: or are you dipping? Because we
0: only got one story um, left.
2: Right. I'm going to dip at this point. I, I'm I do here. just, yeah, I, I'm sorry, mom, dude. I'm going to have to catch it on the uh, on, on You see, I recording. told you. I knew it. <laughs> But I do think that uh web three Wayne brings up a great point about uh the ethereum merge roadmap. I think that it'd be interesting to do some research to see what the, the correlation between those uh those updates are and, and and price dips or jumps so something to take to mm-hmm. your financial advisor for sure
1: mm-hmm.
2: but right. uh thank you all again for having me. I'll catch y'all later. Peace.
1: appreciate you appreciate you. Peace.
2: Now that that guy's out of
0: here,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you um, ever go back
0: and watch this episode to hear that. Right. I can't wait. He's probably going to text me, like, what you say?
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: on to our final story of the evening. It's been jumping over the financial news within the last couple of days, but we have Fed Now. If you haven't been paying attention, FedNow is an initiative by the Federal Reserve Bank to launch its real-time payments program. And so what that means is domestically within the U.S., we'll be able to process payments 24-7 all year round, every single day, to have immediate settlement and instant funds available. Meaning if, let's say... Web3Wayne is my landlord And I transferred my monthly rent to him And I may have been Just making like the traditional bank um, Transfer to him Which may have taken a couple business days Instead, through FedNow He will get that rent money instantaneously And we all know That Web3Wayne wants his cheese, cheddar, mozzarella And provolone as quickly as possible So it's very, very huge news because essentially what FedNow is supposed to do is have a frictionless experience for customers to ensure that we have the speed and easy access to our money as quickly as possible. And settlements can be managed or settled instantaneously. So before we talk about FedNow for a little bit more, let's talk about like what the processes system used to look like. So for almost 50 years within the United States, we've been using the automatic clearing house to transfer money between banks. And as I just briefly mentioned, with ACH automatic clearing house, transactions between financial institutions can take up to two business days, right? Which I experienced from personal experience, which was very annoying. So going back to that rent example, you know, when I lived in Pittsburgh during grad school, on the days where I would pay my rent on a Friday. That money didn't leave my account until Tuesday because it took two business days. And so you're in this weird position where you're like, okay, I got to make sure I don't spend X amount of money because that's going to dip into my rent money and that transaction will fail. And then I'm facing eviction, which I don't want to be evicted at all. Right. So going back to solving that pain point, like there's a reason why we want transactions to happen instantaneously. So we have the clarity on what's truly in our account. And, you know, it's, it's also like good timing too because many other countries do have these instant services, right? Through their real-time payments or RTF, RTP systems that allow for these instant transfers. So really the US was behind When it came to the ability to have like sediments handled instantaneously, and what's interesting about Fed now is really the institutions that are within the Federal Reserve's Fed Line network will be able to participate in this, which includes over ten thousand financial institutions, which is a really big scope when you look at the domestic market for the United States, and What's going to happen is Fed Now will really be acting as the intermediary on the back end between these financial institutions. So, when let's say you have an account at Bank of America and you want to transfer funds to like a Chase Bank account, Fed Now will be in the background validating the payment messaging, debiting and crediting the appropriate accounts within seconds. So once again, going to instantaneous. And you know the analogy that's been used around Fed Now is you can think of it. As the smart contract to a blockchain and as we know if you've been watching block to block smart contracts are very critical when it comes to ensuring that transactions occur as quickly as possible in the blockchain so yeah very exciting stuff fed now will launch within july and there's like an early adoptive program for like financial institutions like your local banks could participate and initially within like the first phase of this FedNow rollout, there will be an initial transaction limit of $25,000. So that's really more so for like individuals like ourselves or even small businesses. If you have like a transaction limit of like 25K, think about it. Like if you're a restaurant, for example, you can pay off these food suppliers like instantaneously with this limit. You know, that should really, it won't really help those larger, big Fortune 500 companies, but for the majority of this nation, this is very, very beneficial, and it has a lot of implications as well. You know, with taking out this antiquated system of ACH, where it took like two to three business days, and we have like instant payments. You know, predatorial organizations like these payday loans become irrelevant, right? Like we've seen these cash and check establishments that exist in predominantly low-income neighborhoods where, you know, people are paying this fee just to access money because you know, the ACH, ACH protocol system just took too long and they needed money now. And so, those are going to become a thing of the past or like similar systems like that that are like very predatorial. As I mentioned, businesses can pay suppliers instantaneously instead of having like these oh net 30 deals like i'm gonna pay you with our next account receivable or payable or what have you and while for society as a whole this is all beneficial it does bring a big question to the world of web3 one of the big big um promotions around crypto stable coins was this idea of increased financial inclusion and the ability to make payments instantaneously as long as you had like the internet connection right but as we know like throughout the last couple of years crypto went from being like this really dope thing everybody wanted to get into to now if you say what's the first word when you think of crypto most people are going to think scam right it's scary we've seen like a lot of these organizations like crypto exchanges dows web3 projects just collapse overnight and so Now we have this alternative with FedNow, which doesn't use blockchain technology, mind you, but it operates similarly to blockchain technology because it's happening like that. And at the end of the day, does the consumer really care too much about how the technology is being used or do they care more so about the benefit? The benefit Mm -hmm. is if I can get my money like that, settle transactions like that, then who cares if it's using a... Blockchain as has a proof of stake consensus method. Like they don't care, and it. This also brings the question about like stable, like CBDCs within the US or like the central bank digital coins, because within the US specifically, you know, if you listen to like different political um, individuals, such as the Federal Reserve Vice Chair, um, which is. Bernard, she talked about how at the House of Representatives Committee that, you know, the CBDC is a long ways away, essentially for Congress to like really decide on implementing a digital coin within the U.S., that's probably going to take five years from now, whereas Fed now is being implemented in July. And so once again, it begs the, the question of what's really the question of, What's really the overall value of crypto and like stable coins if we have this system that's backed by the government and can be trusted, right? And it really just brings in that big question to the entire audience. But overall, a lot of innovation is going to make a huge impact within financial services, fintech, and Web3 altogether. And with that, that's fed now. OK, OK.
1: Yeah, man, the people got to let us know what they think about Fed now and its impact on CBDCs and its adoption and how the government views it. Um, you know, I could I could see it being a, a big wrench right in, in, in those plans of, you know, thinking CBDC would be, um, you know, the, the, the way to go when it comes to crypto at the same time there's still certain elements of cdbdc's that are really beneficial you know what i'm saying like the web3 elements of it of CDB, cdbc cbdc's look at that i
0: always mess it up myself
1: too yeah, yeah. central um, bank digital coins CBDCs. um of course it's like your, your smart wallets right um and, you know, kind of that sandbox effect of owning your information, right? Like this is still very much uh, centralized, which CBDCs are, are centralized as well. But there's still those Web3 components where, uh, you know, th- there's some things that you can't just replace with the Fed now, right? Mm-hmm. And so man, I, w- I would love for, for people as they, they come across this to, to you know, let us know, what do you think? What do you think about Fed now? How will it, you know, one, how will it support CBDCs? And then two, how will it compete? How will it throw a wrench in the the plans for people who are CBDC, you know, enthusiasts, backers, you know?
0: Yeah. I'll say this, right? You know, in general, if you've watched past episodes of Block to Block, we've presented different perspectives from many governments on just how they view crypto and crypto assets right you know some countries are a lot more friendly towards it and accepting of the idea of hey we want to adopt crypto we want it to even become a digital hub for cryptocurrencies like we talked about how in the city of Hong Kong they're trying to be a crypto destination right and you have other countries or governments that are a lot more antagonistic such as in India, right? We talked about like how when it comes to the idea of like digitalization, they believe in CBDCs, but they don't like the idea of like private crypto at all. You know, within the US, I would say we're kind of more so in like the middle ground of it all, right? We're not so antagonistic to the point where we're like trying to ban crypto activities all and we don't want to see this innovation, but we're not as accepting to be like, yeah, we're going to Adopt Bitcoin as our official currency, and we want all this crypto to be unregulated. We have a really middle to ground approach of, hey, let's try to figure out this space and put the proper regulatory enforcement as needed. So as it relates to Fed now, it's very interesting. It puts us in a position where I won't call it a straight up crypto killer, but it's gonna be beating on crypto. It's, yeah, it's like that bully yeah. on the sand, sand lot, you know. And what's is gonna put it us in a position of? If you are a non valuable crypto project, meaning you have like no strong foundation, you don't have no real utility. There's no real adoption. There's no real value. Like it's kind of like oh, just for jokes or just like some la 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 -la la-ness for lack of a better term right like no serious vision for your project fed now is probably going to kill your crypto project honestly however if you're one of these huge crypto networks or blockchain networks like a bitcoin as we talked about in the previous episode where we see like bitcoin and the lightning network being utilized a lot more within these different african markets fed now is going to be A competitor, but it's not going to really kill your project altogether, right? Mm -hmm. Like bitcoins are going to be okay, the Ethereum's are going to be okay, Cardano's probably going to be cool, Polygon as well, because they are building out these entire ecosystems with a huge influx of developers, adoptions by organizations, and we see the innovation being employed by the use of this technology. But if you're just making the the anyhow coin and it's just to
1: <laughs> joke around like right. good luck Right. making the <laughs> it's a boge coin it's a cat it's a cat not a dog
0: <laughs>
1: right And you know we got three cats over
0: here so that's actually a good for the idea
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah it's a very very interesting time in the world of web 3 for sure yeah for sure if you for those who are watching definitely check out the last few episodes man we've been really taking it globally and then we had to take it domestic domestic for today because a lot is happening don't get fooled by this notion that all the technology is just a scam it's going to go
1: away it's here to stay and it's being used in like amazing ways for sure for sure. And I mean, this is, just, let's, let's talk about this too. You know, this is only fed now, right? Which is, like you said, it's domestic. It's in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Right. What, what about cross-border payments? Yep. You know, and, and you know, that's a whole nother level, right? Maybe, you know, for those who are building crypto projects or are interested in CBDCs, like maybe that's also, you know, the new angle of like, okay, well, Fed now is maybe a system that we need to be thinking about integrating with, you know, Mm -hmm. something that we need to be figuring out how can we work with it um, instead of trying to fight against it. Right. So, you know, there's still a lot of great use cases when it comes to frictionless frictionless payment, um, crypto, especially when you're talking about like your less developed markets. Right, U.S. is very mature, very developed, very you know secure for lack of a better term. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. this country still has this risk in terms of you know monetary currencies, but you know, relative, it's it's going to be something I think on a on a global stage that's still going to be very strong, and and that's what we have to look at, right, in, in a world that's moving into more of a global economy. So,
0: absolutely, and. Don't get fooled as well, because remember, like way many episodes ago, I I forget the number of it, but we talked about how the Federal Reserve Bank of New York was testing out how blockchain payments could be used to address those cross-border payments that we talked about. Like I believe it was like foreign exchange payments. So yeah, was don't like
2: think
1: three
0: something like I'm, that. I'm just saying, like don't just don't think like Fed now is here and the government doesn't have a isn't investing to see ways in which they can utilize blockchain technology just just yeah. the saying same. The
1: same. I'm just reporting what we see out in the news <laughs> no it makes sense it makes sense well man episode 33 was another great success mm-hmm. Sean and seven streams blessed us today on this episode got us thinking about becoming web free developers well web developers in general to be honest. Um, but even more so, getting into Web3, taking an extra step, Shanghai upgrade, man, there's a lot of good things going there. We'll definitely be on the lookout to see how that affects the market, how that affects the price of Ethereum, and of course, Fed now has made ripples, especially when it comes to, hey, what is the, you know, the, the use case now for crypto, right? We have frictionless payments, so what's next? So a lot of great things that we're seeing, a lot of great topics here on episode 33. Definitely like, comment, subscribe, share with your loved ones. Drop a comment of what you'd like to hear us talk about. Drop a comment and let us know your thoughts on any of the topics today, questions, any of the nine. And with that, Web3Wayne is out of here. And this is NFT and Jai checking out.